But how, how, how they like you How like wolves are But how, how, how they like you Welcome to another episode of Not Another Teen Wolf podcast. We're starting season two this week, our recap of episodes one and two in season two, and this is our 10th episode, our 10th anniversary or something. Um, (laughs) So that seems like quite a lot. That's exciting for us, and thank you if you are still listening or if you've picked us up since our first episode and have have gone back and listened. It's very exciting to get into season two as it's... um, very intense and we hope you liked the bite-sized episode last week about the webisodes please let us know what you'd like for another bite size or what you think of this episode by contacting us on twitter which is n-a-t-w podcast gmail which is n-a-t-w podcast at gmail.com or on tumblr which is not another teen wolf podcast dot com. So we'll get right into the recap for episode 2.01, which is Omega. Um, Karen's going to read that, and then we're going to discuss that, and then the second episode. All right, this one starts off with Jackson coming out of the water barefoot and with a torn shirt, and he's just been bitten by Derek. This totally says Dirk. (laughs) 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 Yeah. That was really distracting. That's amazing. Okay. Scott runs through the woods into Allison's house, thinking about a previous date with Allison that ended up with her father holding a gun to Scott's head. Allison begged her father to put the gun away, promising to stay away from Scott forever, but they keep seeing each other anyway. Meanwhile, at the hospital, Lydia is up and awake. Styles has been there all weekend, waiting for her to recover. She goes to take a shower, but ends up hallucinating. First, she sees the water backing up, and it's black in color. Then she pulls gobs of her hair out of the drain. When a hand reaches up and grabs her, she screams. Styles, Lydia's dad, and Scott's mom rush in, but Lydia has escaped out the window. Allison's parents return home to check on her, and Scott escapes out the window just in time. While up on the roof, he hears Lydia scream. He meets Styles at the hospital, and the three of them try to track her down before Allison's parents do. Isaac, meanwhile, is digging a grave when his machine is turned over. He sees someone digging in a grave and tries to hide. Derek comes out and asks him if he needs help. At the same time, Allison, Scott, and Styles are led to Derek's house, and Allison wonders if Lydia is seeking him to be a part of his pack. Scott ends up in a tripwire trap, and Chris and his hunters show up. Chris threatens Scott yet again. The next morning, the sheriff interviews Isaac about the grave robbery. He says he didn't see anything. The sheriff asks him how he got his black eye, and Isaac just says that he got it from lacrosse. At school, Styles tells Scott that all the person took from the grave was a liver. Coach posts a list so the team members can sign up and help search for Lydia. Jackson doesn't seem interested in trying to find her. Later that day in class, his nose starts bleeding. Derek shows up and tells him that his body is rejecting the change. Jackson also tells Derek that he doesn't want to be in his pack. When the funeral begins, the graveyard is swarming with reporters. Matt, someone from Allison's school and someone who obviously has a crush on her, jumps the barrier to take pictures of her. Gerard, Allison's grandfather, breaks his memory card and destroys the pictures on it. He introduces himself to Allison, who hasn't seen him since she was three. 
Styles and Scott are spying on the funeral, but the sheriff finds them and throws them in the back of his car. He gets a call about a disturbance, and Scott and Styles escape the car and try to find the scene of the crime. Scott tracks down an Omega, who gets trapped in another tripwire. Lydia shows up at the crime scene as well, while Derek holds Scott back from trying to help the Omega out of the trap. Chris, Gerard, and some of the other hunters show up, and Gerard proceeds to cut the Omega in half. The episode ends with Gerard stating, in response to Chris saying, we have a code, that they don't have a code anymore, and that they're going to kill each and every werewolf they find. So this was kind of an explosive start to the season, and it definitely ended on an ominous note there with Gerard's last sentence. Um, So what were your favorite lines, Natalie? Well, not that one. Like, not his last line about the code, because he's a crazy man. Um, yeah, yeah if, if we're going to go to to funny lines, this episode actually was one of the less funny episodes of Teen Wolf. It was very action-packed, a lot happened, and everything was pretty intense. And I know that we don't always pick funny lines, but yeah, this had a lot of a lot of drama and not a great amount of detailed dialogue for a Teen Wolf episode, but... Two bits that I particularly liked was actually when Jackson, sorry, when Derek approaches Jackson in the school to talk about Jackson rejecting the bite and like how Jackson is now one of his pack or, you know, whatever it is, that I hated pretty much everything Jackson said to Derek. It was really nasty. It was a real low point for Jackson. But I loved that he said to him, you know, what, you really want me to join with you? And he's like, sorry, but to to be honest, you don't exactly show outstanding leadership qualities to Derek, <laughs> which is sadly quite true. You know, he was being totally, totally nasty, but that point does stand pretty well uh, and will continue to stand for the rest of the season. Yeah. Um, the other thing, as far as, as funny goes, I guess, was after Lydia escapes from the hospital and the guys are trying to find her because they think that she might be a werewolf or whatever, and they need to find her because she's running around naked. Styles takes her hospital robe and gives it to Scott, and he's Scott's just sort of waffling on about something, and Styles just goes, just shove that thing in your face and let's find her. And it was just very disparaging, and, and I just found the delivery of that line very funny. But... I have to say, if we are going to talk about humour, the two funniest things for me in the episode, neither of them were dialogue. Yeah. Um, it was, one of them was when they were doing that, when Alison, after Alison comes and they're in the car tracking Lydia, they cut between Alison and Styles, kind of sensibly talking to each other about what's going on and then they sort of throw a question to Scott and you pan to him and he's got his head out the window, like <laughs> sniffing the way, like exactly like... You know, a dog, you know, with the ears flying and the tongue lolling out the window. And oh. I just died. And my roommate, who I was watching it with, she was just, like, not prepared for that. Like, it was like <laughs> she just had, like, had to stop the computer. She was just screaming. And the other bit, and I'm pretty sure this wasn't meant to be funny, but it is so funny, is when... In that that scene, uh, that scene that I quoted with Derek and Jackson at school, so and Derek's kind of circling him, checking why his body is rejecting the bike, uh, the bike, why his, <laughs> why his body is rejecting the bite. Derek's kind of ends up just being disturbed, being like, you know, oh, your you know your body's rejecting the bite, and Jackson's like, why? And he's like, I don't know, and he just kind of has this 
look on his face of like this disturbed look and then just literally walks backwards into the shadows like yeah. and it's just the supreme Derek lurker moment because you always <laughs> see him in the background standing with his legs apart and then you look back and he's gone and you're like does he just sort of glide into position that I don't understand and then here you actually literally see him like almost in that that stance but just kind of like edging backwards away into the shadows and it's so funny that I can't <laughs> even handle it but anyway, yeah, how about those, you? Those are two of my favorites, too. And you know I've been on Tumblr too much when I'm just like, I have to go like track down the gifts for this and just stare at them for a while. Yeah, totally. Um, that Derek thing I have seen a lot of times on Tumblr because I think everyone has just found <laughs> it. as just, Maybe it was meant to be funny. Maybe they're trolling us. I don't know. But it was so maybe. funny. I, I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah. My two lines were actually uh, pretty funny too. The first one was from Lydia's father of all people when they're in the hospital and he asks her if she needs help taking a shower and she's like what am I for? <laughs> he just says I'll just wait outside them where it's slightly less sarcastic. And I know. It, was, yeah. it was such a great line and, and from such a random character I love when they do that when they kind of shine the spotlight on other people once in a while. Yeah and he seems nice like I know yeah. that the parents are divorced, like they, you've seen Lydia's mother in a previous episode, and, and in mm. this it's just her father, and I don't know why she doesn't live with her father, he seems cool. Um, <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my second one was actually from Harris, when he's talking to Styles and he goes, there it is again, your voice triggering the only impulse I've ever had to strike a student repeatedly and violently. And his delivery on I that know. line. I know his voice. Is, his voice is like crazy. Like the way he delivers <laughs> all of his lines is really like it's very unique and very strange. Yeah. And he's a crazy man. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that was some. I don't know how he gets away with some things. But you know, you always have that in shows. You always have teachers where you're like, "How are you actually a teacher?" <laughs> but yes, I did. I did appreciate that bit as well. Okay, so to get into our discussion points here, first I want to bring up the fact that we actually have a new opening. Before it was sort of just like a, a title card and it had Teen Wolf and, and there wasn't really anything special to it. But this time now we have all the main characters lined up and it's very artistic and we see some cool shots of each of them doing things kind of in slow motion. Um, and I love the new opening. I think it's it's really cool just how they did it and how it's super artistic and it kind of shows you like who each person is and like some of them are doing lacrosse things and stuff like that but what did you think when you first saw the new opening for the second season the only thing i can think about watching it again now is all of again the gift sets on tumblr of derek <laughs> in the flower like in covered in that powder talking about how when he's angry he bakes cookies and stuff like that <laughs> so that's pretty much where i'm at about it i'm not gonna lie to you i never heard of that before oh, I've never ask that. brooke because oh my god it's this thing that, like, people, like, they screen cap it or, like, and they're, like, make all of these baking references and they have all of these. It's it's really ridiculous because he, I don't know, because he's covered in some, like, white yeah. flour or powder. I mean, and I don't really understand. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I don't understand what it's meant to represent and it's really strange. I, no, I actually really like um, in the opening credits, 
of the new one. I really like Holland's bit, like Lydia's credit. I really like the way they shot that. I quite like Styles because he looks really intense and Allison like shooting the the bow and arrow as well. But the Derek thing, I just I don't know. I'm, I just can't unsee it. So it's yeah. Yeah, I'm not gonna be able to forget that. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I will find you an amusing baking reference uh, that okay. that uses this. Okay, so then I guess the the real first discussion point would be uh, this beginning scene with Jackson when he comes out of the water. We, I don't honestly remember where I read this or where I heard it from originally, but I know Jeff Davis said that we're supposed to get the reason why he's in the water when, you know, he comes out of that and everything. And I'm just sort of wondering if, since... Colton Haynes is gone. Are we still going to get this? Do you think we're still going to get an answer to why he was there? Maybe. I have no idea. I mean, I didn't even know that there was a a serious reason for it that, you know, I thought maybe he'd just gone and fallen in the stream or, you know, <laughs> gone for a sort of like, you know, cleared his head or something. But I, I didn't really, it, it's odd. It did definitely strike me as odd, but mm. I didn't know what the situation was in regards to that. So, I have no idea. I mean, if if it's that important to Jeff, I'm sure he'll find a way to include it in some way, or maybe it'll be in the season two DVD extras that they'll talk about it. Oh, yeah. uh, but I genuinely don't know what it could mean, really. Yeah, I just figured since they, you know, since he specifically brought it up that it had to be significant somehow that it had a tie into, mm. you know, something. So I'm I'm definitely interested in figuring that out. Yeah. My first thing that I noticed about the episode is in after or sort of interspersed with Scott's first scene in which he's remembering his date with Allison and and getting threatened by Chris, he was, it's the first time you've seen him really go on a full on all fours run, like the kind of loping kind of like arms to legs running as a wolf, I guess, as opposed to, well, a, you know, a werewolf, not a fully transformed wolf, as opposed to running on foot uh, like a normal person. And I was just going, number one, is that practical? Like, is that actually, like, easier for him to run like than standard running? But secondly, how do they film that? Is it, like, I, I was really, I was sort of looking at it going, I don't understand how you film this. I mean, is it just... That they do, that they actually literally make him do that movement for a few shots and then repeat it, or 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 how? Like I was just, you know, is, is the whole thing CGI? Like his entire body CGI? Because it does not seem practical or comfortable, and I was quite confused <laughs> by that. Genuinely, like as to as to why that they've made that a choice, like as opposed to him just running normally, like we have seen him do before. Uh, like yeah. the, when he's still in human body shape, you know, even when he's a werewolf, he's not having a, a different body shape that that kind of movement is. So that kind of confused me. But also the thing about Chris actually pulling Scott out of the car and threatening him, that all seems a bit uncody. Like, it, you know, it, it confused me because I think the first time I saw it, I was like, is that a, like, is that a dream? I don't understand. Like, I, I know mm. it wasn't, but the first time I was going, what, why has this happened? Is it an empty threat just to keep him, you know, Scott away from Allison because he doesn't, Chris doesn't want Scott to date Allison? Because 
you know, he he's the one that's meant to be all living by the code. You know, he's not going right. to shoot him in the head, is he? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand that why he he did that. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it seems bizarre that he would do that, and I guess it could still be an empty threat, but Scott doesn't necessarily know that, so maybe he was doing it knowing that if he did do that, he could get them to stay apart, but it does seem odd. I, yeah, I don't think he really meant it, because I, I find it very hard to believe that he would break the code just for you know, Scott dating his daughter, that's kind of overreacting a little bit. Yeah, it seems really strange. I I know that everything is, you know, a bit dramatic for them at the moment, like, you know, with Kate and everything, but it does seem, you know, Scott, you know, apparently knows that they have these ethics or whatever, and and it just seems confusing. And also, if he literally thinks, like, literally thinks, if he does believe Chris and he thinks that Chris is going to kill him dead, shoot him in the head or cut him in half or whatever. I know that he really likes Alison, but <laughs> re- like if you actually thought that he was going to kill you. So maybe he doesn't actually think Chris is really going to maybe in his heart of the hearts he doesn't really think that Chris is going to kill him because you know they both continue to see each other and have, you know, pretty much laugh about it like when he sneaks into the you know, sneaks into the window and and everything. It seems like they're pretty chill about it and that they're just the same as any other teenagers sneaking around behind someone that might not particularly approve, not someone that is going to murder you. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just a good representation of, like, teenagers being that intense and not really taking a real life into consideration. I don't know. (laughs) And back to um, the whole running bit. Yeah, I find that really weird too. Like, It's so awkward to watch. I don't know. And I can't imagine that it would be practical for Scott or like any of the other werewolves to run like that. Because regardless of the fact that, you know, okay, they're like stronger now, so they could move faster, that sort of thing. But like anatomically, like we're not meant to move like that. Like Mm. our bones aren't, you know, in the right places to be able to move like that. So I can't imagine that it is very practical to run like that but I guess it's just a good you know show of them being supernatural and and showing that they're a little bit different and I'm pretty sure I did hear that they I mean you could tell in some spots that it was CGI but in other spots I'm pretty sure it was actually like um Scott and well Tyler both Tyler since Hecklin did it too later on but uh they do film it like that because I remember Posey saying that it was really difficult to get used to running like that and that has got to be really strange to, to yeah, run like that. Yeah, you, even if you're doing only about 10 or 5 paces of it, that would be yeah. incredibly difficult physically to yeah. like do those running jumps and make it look smooth. That's really weird. Oh well. <laughs> sucks <laughs> the to things be that they have, Yeah, <laughs> things they have to go through to film this stuff. Mm. My uh, next big thing was actually something that I was really confused about, and maybe this will come up later in the season, and if it does, just let me know, and we'll sort of wait till it happens and talk about it. But the grave scene really confused me, because I didn't know who was digging in the grave. Like, was was it Derek, or was it somebody else, and why were they doing it? 
whose liver was stolen, why did they need the liver, you know, all of that stuff. Do we get that answer later on? Well, I think so, but I'm still not 100% sure because I thought it was... At first I thought it was the Kanama, who obviously we've talked about before and we see in the next episode, so, you know, you're going to, you know, vaguely talk about this. But at first I thought it was that, and then I thought it was the Omega because he said that he'd killed... He hadn't attacked anyone alive and that the person in the ambulance uh-huh. was dead already and I thought that he'd gone after this body as well and because he needed to eat people. I don't... Why does he need to eat people? Like, he's... I don't understand that, but apparently some werewolves need to eat people. I don't that's, think yeah, this is true, strange. but I don't understand why. But apparently that that's kind of what I thought, that it was the Omega because when Gerard attacks him at the end of the episode... They, you know, he says, oh, I haven't attacked anyone alive. The person in the ambulance was dead. I swear I just wanted to eat them, I guess. We don't really see anyone else eating people. Like, no, no. one has the urge to... Because why, why would he need to attack, you know, you know, attack someone not alive? Uh, unless Although, it's to eat people. Right. Although, if he's an Omega, and, I mean, he's basically homeless. I mean, he was digging through the garbage. Maybe that's, like, literally the only food that he can find. And because he's a werewolf, you know, he can consume it and it doesn't really bother him. He can't, like, hunt animals. <laughs> I guess it's easier to grab a liver out of a corpse than to, like, find a bunny rabbit or something. Yeah, like, because we definitely... Because I'm pretty sure that we are going to get into the idea that, like, werewolves don't just attack people for the sake of it unless they're out of control. And, I mean, this guy wasn't particularly out of control. It wasn't a full moon. Every time we, you know, saw him, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the brightest petal in the, you know, rose bush, but he was not woefully out of control. So I'm very confused about why he was eating people, if that is what was happening, because it's definitely not something that, the werewolves do in general as far as we can tell right but it does make sense that he would have been the one that was digging in the graveyard and everything to begin with that definitely yeah, yeah that then, makes sense then why was Derek there though what how did he know about Isaac why was he there I don't understand that either maybe he was tracking the Omega down and mm. then he just you know, maybe to see who else was in town, that sort of thing. And then, you know, he came across Isaac and decided, oh, hey, I'm going to turn this guy into a werewolf now. But how did he know Isaac was, like, in trouble? Like, does like I, this is another thing, like, about, you know, Derek's life choices that are going to start coming <laughs> up, is that he, like, he, it's, you know, we're going to raise some points in regards to this, but he really seemed to, like, lurk in a predatory fashion in order to find out, you know, who these weak kids might be that might be likely to accept his, you know, form of help. And so, mm-hmm. I want, you know, I wonder how lo- if he had been lurking Isaac before that or, or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. One of the first things I noticed was in regards to that, one of the first scenes when Styles and Scott are going to go after Lydia and then Alison comes to the kind demands to be taken along too. I really like this dynamic straight away. Um... You know, it really reinforced for me the idea of the last scene of the last season in which they all kind of work together as a team really automatically, you know, when they're taking down Peter. And 
it's really good to have more than just Scott and Styles know about the werewolf situation. Like the way they all interact, especially the way that Allison and Styles talk to each other. It's all this really balanced team thing that's good to see. And it's a shame that they kind of split off uh, later later on. And I hope that season three does come to a place where we have a solid group of, you know, three or four people, whoever those end up being, whether it's Allison, Lydia, you know, I guess Isaac, you know, whoever ends up sticking around with Scott as a team where they all know about the werewolf situations because they're back and forth. It's just really focused and really, you know, they work really well together and I really like their dynamic, especially, as I said, Allison and, and Styles. And, you know, no one's holding back. Everyone's just... The way the way they're talking to each other is just... I just really liked it. It's just really cool. So, yeah, I hope that we get more of that in Season 3 now that, you know, more people will, will know what's going on. Yeah, I keep thinking about how in the finale you had referenced them as, like, the Avengers when they were, you know, mm. like, Scott threw the bow to Allison and, mm. you know, they kind of did it all together. And, yeah, I really want to see more of this too, especially since in Season 3 we know... She's going to be coming back and and things are a bit more calm now than they were uh, at the end of season two. But that would definitely be cool. And I'm interested to see how Isaac fits in there, too, because I have a feeling and I I think we we probably know this a bit, too, that there's going to be some tension there between, you know, the relationships of Scott and Isaac and Styles and Scott. And it's going to probably end up being sort of a third wheel sort of thing for Styles. And it'll be cool to see how that's dealt with and how they move on from that. Because I think all of them working together is just, it's really great to see on screen. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Gerard, let's talk about him for a little while. First mm. of all, he he got this really awesome slow mo entrance, and like with the two guys behind him, and he looked like this mob boss and and everything. And you just knew right from the beginning that he was not a guy that you wanted to mess with. And by the end of the episode, we see that he's probably even worse than than any of us could imagine. Um, but he really scares me, like. Not even just him, but the actor. Like, <laughs> he's so intimidating looking. And I, I haven't watched all of it, but I've seen a bit of the beginning of Battlestar Galactica, and he's on there too, and he plays sort of a not very nice character. And when I realized that it was the same person, I was like, oh, I was scared of him before, and I'm scared of him now. Like, does he only play villains or something? But, I mean, he does a good job of it if he does. Mm. Imagine being that guy on the street and, like, having, you know, like, if you're, like, someone who's really known for playing really nasty characters or vi- or villains and, you know, walking around on the street and people automatically being put off by you if you're well-known <laughs> enough to be known yeah. as a villain. Yeah, I don't like Gerard. I think that it's horrible. I think that he is, you know, we're going to get into this much more, but I think that he is the worst character on the show, like the the worst villain on the show. You know, there's a lot of grey area in this show about who's a villain and who's a, you know, good or bad guy and whether the good side is actually doing good things or whatever, but he, his behaviour is the worst and I hate him and I don't like him. And it was interesting how they tried to make him kind of like somewhat benevolent at first, like even when he goes over to Matt and you know, asks about the camera and it's like, oh, this must be expensive and, 
you know, he's like, yeah, $900, and then he's like, well, I'll just break the card then, kind of thing, and it was like, there's this weird, like, are you meant to think that he's kind of, like, somewhat sympathetic, because I don't like him. Yeah, I think you are, because remember, um, was it, it wasn't this episode, it was next episode in the principal's office, Yeah, like, you are... I think meant to trust him. And we even get this later on in the the dinner scene where I guess we know that he's not trustworthy by the end of this episode, but it keeps going back and forth and you kind of wonder, okay, is he really kind of a nice guy and he just really, really hates werewolves Mm -hmm. or is he just not a nice guy all around? And, you know, hint, he's not a nice guy all around pretty much. (laughs) And I mean, they keep the fact, even Chris keeps the fact that Scott is a werewolf from him doesn't it like for a while yeah. at least because mm-hmm. he knows that he is irrationally kind of crazy but it's yeah. you know it's interesting to think about this you know Kate growing up trying to please this man because yeah that's that's a lot of a lot of crazy right there and then just you know I mean him at the end you know throwing the code out the window just because I mean not just because but you know because Kate was killed like, really? Like, that doesn't seem... This man has clearly never had ethics about what he was doing. Uh, if he was, you know... Because hunters, you know... I'm sure hunters get killed all the time. Not that that's a joyous occasion. But I'm sure that hunters get killed. And obviously you have an emotional attachment to your child. But it's still surely part of the job and part of the game or whatever. And that you can't just throw the ethics out the window, especially if he knew what Kate did. And it's, I mean, it clearly is a sign that they're both crazy and that they're both, you know, only pretending to follow the code in the first place. But you also get the question of how come Chris's beliefs are so instilled about the code and and actually trying to be a good person and, and in regards to this world. So... Again, was, like, their mother different or did Chris just take things mm-hmm. upon himself or had been operating on his own and did his own research and came to his own beliefs naturally? Because, yeah, he fam- his family's cray. Like, they're just not, <laughs> like, you know, they, they clearly don't have any ethics or morals in regards to this. They're just pretending to have them for the sake of, like, the wider community that does have them. So, And even his wife, who, you know, isn't, a part of that side of family. Obviously, Gerard is Chris's father, but, like, I mean, he's got crazy all around him, and he's, like, so perfectly normal compared to the rest of them. So that's a good question. It does make me wonder if his mother had something to do with it and how he came out mostly sane. Yeah. I mean, if you hunt werewolves, you're probably not completely sane, but compared to everyone else, he's he's pretty normal. Like, even with that bit with the tripwire, I actually really loved it. Like, the way that he kind of crouched down and he was like, Scott, how you doing? And he was kind of, <laughs> he, just the delivery was legitimately like he was actually, it didn't even seem sarcastic. He did go on to be a bit like, you know, continuing to sort of matter-of-factly threaten him, but he actually did just seem to just be checking in on how, you know, how Scott was going and and what the situation was and then going on to just remind him that he needed to to back off. But, you know, Chris is is very, very strange. But, yeah, I really want to know how he became what he is as well. Yeah, you can tell that he really doesn't want to hurt Scott. You know, he Mm. honestly doesn't want to break the code, doesn't want to have to kill a 16-year-old kid, but... He also has to be pretty tough when he knows mm. 
that werewolves are dangerous and he doesn't want his yeah. daughter around one. So it does make sense. And another thing with Gerard is his relationship with the family. Some questions sort of popped up in my head there because when he first comes to the funeral, Chris mentions him by name, not by dad. He doesn't call him yeah, dad at all. Yeah, so yeah. there must be some sort of tension there. And the fact that he hasn't seen Allison since she was three, it makes me wonder why why not? You know, like, why has he been away? That's a long time to be away from your son and your granddaughter and everything. So mm -hmm. I guess it could just be the tension or maybe, you know, maybe he was off doing something else. We don't really know. Mm. Another new character in this episode was Matt. And I, you know, we, we kind of like Matt. Like, we like Matt for a while. But I'm wondering, like, did you feel that his interactions in this episode, like him meeting Allison at her locker and then him coming to the funeral as a, I guess, as a school reporter or whatever, did you did you find him creepy straight away? Did you find his presence at the funeral, like, creepy or inappropriate, or did you not think about it at the time? I didn't really think about it. Um, I didn't really find him creepy. I thought that he was not in this episode, but the next episode, he was sort of rude, and, and I didn't like him like him, but I, yeah, I didn't think he was as crazy as he turns out to be. Yeah, I didn't really think about it much the first time either, but then kind of, you know, since I've rewatched it, I'm like, probably not that nice a guy to, like, show up at the funeral, like, when people are, like, if he likes Allison or whatever, like, probably not the best thing, like, probably not the nicest, most you know, sympathetic or moral thing to to be there. It's it's a bit odd, and mm -hmm. obviously there's a lot more to it. But, yeah, I, you know, I found him quite interesting at first. Like, he just seemed so normal compared to everyone else, and it, it kind of reminded me of, like, a few of those Buffy episodes where Buffy kind of meets a guy that is outside the entire realm of her Buffy-dom and, and, you know, is, and is all normal or something like that. And that's kind of what... The first meeting with Allison kind of reminded me of, and there is more stuff about him in the second episode that, you know, especially his interest, interactions with Jackson, that interested me. But yeah, I I never really thought about the fact that it was bad that he was at the funeral before, and that's quite surprising to me because usually I'm, if anyone you know knows me outside the realm of this podcast, I'm pretty vocal about creepy behavior and and things like that. <laughs> well, like in fandoms, like you know people you know, doing creepy fan things or, you know, leaking mm -hmm. photos and all of that kind of thang thing, all of that kind of thang. And, um, <laughs> sorry, that was an accident. Um, all of that kind of thing. And I, so yeah, I'm surprised I wasn't like, mm, that's a bit dodgy, dude, um, earlier. But yeah, it was, was not the greatest. In regards to the funeral, though, the, the other thing I quickly wanted to say was I really liked about the, the funeral, um, well, at least prior to the funeral, the Scott and Allison's interactions, like him, you know, her being very upset and stressed about, you know, people judging her and him pulling her into the classroom and sort of comforting her and then ending up being, you know, being there from a distance so that she knew that he was there. They're so functional and healthy. Like it's really, mm -hmm. like they're really good at this point. It's, it's a really, it's such a good couple at this point And it's, yeah, it's, I mean, they are a bit stupid about some things. But, you know, they're obviously taking a lot of risks, especially if Scott legitimately thinks that, you know, he will die if he get caught. But the, the interactions do seem worth it. And it's really, yeah, it was really 
good. It was really nice and and supportive and and yeah, I really really like them at this point. Except for the fact that every time they meet up, all they seem to do is like have sex or something because <laughs> I'm like if I was like banned from seeing my boyfriend, like I, this might just be me, but I would like be like maybe they're still allowed to talk at school, like maybe that's the thing that's fine, but Every time that they, like, secretly meet up, it's like they just jump each other. And I'm like, do you not want to, like, hang out and talk? Like, do you, like, is that not... Maybe at this point they still get to talk at school. But it, that that was actually my reaction to it. I'm just like, really? This is this is what you... I mean, like, that's fine. But I would be, like, you know, trying to actually catch up on... Get as much of you as, as I could in the sense of, you know, talking to you and, and all of that kind of thing. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> Another thing that I was actually curious about was um, Harris, the chemistry teacher, punishing Styles because of Styles's dad's questioning of him, like saying that he was going to take out that stress on Styles for the rest of the year. Harris is totally unbalanced. Like, how did he even <laughs> keep his job after that? I don't understand. Like, after they actually knew he was accomplice to murder. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe they just didn't go on the record with it. And, you know, the fact that he'd been, you know, I don't know what they said that it was, he said, oh, it was before I'd gotten sober. The way that he treats the students, like some of the stuff that he says, and like the fact that he's outright says to Styles that he's doing this for this reason. He's crazy, like really crazy. How does he, how does he keep this job? Like, is it a matter of like, oh, if Styles tried to report that he wouldn't, the teacher would deny it and no one would believe him but like he's nuts really nuts like what is going on there I yeah I don't know I almost kind of took it as and this could be completely wrong and maybe just me like not looking at it the right way but I kind of believed him when he said that he was taking Styles under his wing and was going to make him his personal project as in like I mean, I still think he was sort of punishing him because he would know that Styles wouldn't like that. But in his, like, crazy brain, like, do you think he really is actually trying to help him? Not really, honestly. I don't <laughs> know how he could possibly help him. He's crazy. And then, like, there's so much stuff that comes up this season with him that is crazy. Like, because he's yeah. not a major plot point in the sense that he, his plot isn't really, like, that involved like it was last season in in the in the major story but he keeps popping up being crazy and I don't know I think that there is I think there is something maybe it's you know a slow burn maybe he's going to be a major part of season 3 but he is insane and I'm sure that it can't just be oh it's not like coach being casually and hilariously insane Harris yeah. has got wackiness going on like there is not <laughs> yeah uh, anyway the other thing I wanted to ask quickly before your last main point was just about the Omega, which, you know, they said that there were, you know, a few options, like he could have been shunned by his pack or the remainder of a pack that was killed or kicked out. But the Omega says he came to town looking for the Alpha, like there is only one or that there's only one per large area that they're few and far between or something. So what do you think about that? Because, you know, we don't know how many werewolves there are in the world, but the fact that he just said that I'm looking for the alpha as opposed to I heard there was an alpha here or something like that seemed really strange to me because there can't just be one, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like we know that there's not just one. So what's the deal with that? 
I don't know. <laughs> but um, if I had to guess, I'd say that, I mean, alphas can't be a rare thing because there's got to be an alpha per pack, you know what I mean? So it is sort of a question of how many werewolves exist in the world and how many werewolves exist in this part of California specifically. And I'm just sort of wondering if, you know, he did get run out of his old pack and this was just sort of like the area that he was haunting for the time being. And then he heard of, you know, the alpha and then came looking for him because he was nearby. I mean, I guess it, it really could have happened anywhere but he just happened to be there and Derek and all that happened so I guess that's that's the reason yeah okay so the last major point of the episode was about Lydia and um the question of what the heck was she doing roaming around the woods naked for two days and it's a legitimate question because there's like two whole days missing from her memory we know she doesn't have any clue what she was doing so that's definitely a question I'd like answered and my theory is that she must have been looking for Peter because we know this is significant later on but she ended up back at Derek's house at some point because Mm -hmm. Scott and the others track her there so I guess, you know, she was just roaming around the lo- the woods looking for him, for his body or something. I'm not really sure, but that's that's as close of a true theory as I can think of. Yeah, I think it must be something to do with that as well, like that, you know, that a lot of what happens later was maybe like set up by her in in that time or something like that. It's pretty crazy. Like, as I said, I took this... I took this in stride, like, her, both her, like, breakdown and, you know, her, when they find her again and all of that and her, sh- the shower stuff. I took it all in stride, but, like, if you watch this objectively, it's pretty, pretty whack. Like, it's, it's really weird imagery and it's, it's a very strange thing to happen. And, you know, how big are the woods? How big is the town that they really couldn't find her in the woods in, in two days? Yeah. Like, it seems, like, is it really massive? Like, is it a big reserve? I don't... You never see that much of it, I don't know, but... Yeah, that's actually something that has been brought up, like, a couple of times for me, these, especially with these first two episodes and, like, whole of season two rather than season one, but how big is Beacon Hills? I mean, I feel like it should be a small town, but at the same time, we keep seeing more and more of it, and, like, I live in a small town, and we don't have, like, raves and you know like all these like crazy stuff that they do and it seems a lot bigger than than this little town that i think back in season one we were meant to believe it was yeah maybe it's not meant to be that small i don't know it's a bit confusing to me honestly i don't i don't really know i would think the preserve would be pretty big though just because that would be sort of convenient for the storyline that it you know a big set of woods just like you know untouched land and then mm-hmm. with both Lydia and Jackson in the episode, like with them leaking the sort of black stuff, I mean, Lydia's is a hallucination, but Jackson's is real. Is that meant to be like werewolf venom, like the werewolf poison, like it coming out of Lydia because she's not turning into a werewolf and it coming out of Jackson because his body is reacting to the bite or, or whatever Derek said? Like what what is this black stuff? That would be my guess. I mean, obviously, it's not blood because it's, yeah, it's definitely black. It's not like dark red or anything. And when you get bitten, you're turned. So there's obviously some sort of poison or venom or, you know, stuff up in there that that changes you. So I would imagine that. 
that's what it has to be. Yeah, I'm just curious as to the, what happened to that with Lydia if that was a hallucination, if you know what I mean, like the stuff in that we see the bath, you know, her hallucination that, you know, you know, was filling up and then it was clear water that her, it was only her mind sort of having all of the hair come out and all of that venom or whatever drip out. But if her, she's not turning into a werewolf, then surely she had to also lose all of that venom. So maybe that's what was happening to her in the woods as well. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I'm curious as to like what made her come out of it because she couldn't remember two days of walking around the woods and yet all of a sudden she turns up and she's like, okay, somebody get me a coat now. Like, obviously she came out of this like trance-like state that she was in, but why? Did she like complete whatever she was doing while she was out there or was it just like, okay, you're done being crazy for the time being. We'll wait for like, you know, next week to kick it in again. Yeah, I don't know. Very odd. There's still a lot of questions about Lydia that we don't really get the answers to in this season that I think we're going to get more about next season. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so we have rounded off the first episode, and then the second episode, which is called Shape Shifted, uh, that episode starts with Isaac and his dad having dinner and discussing Isaac's grades. His dad threatens him and then sort of psychs him out, making Isaac think that he's getting a simple and normal punishment for getting a bad grade and asks him to clean the kitchen. But then Mr. Leahy proceeds to trash the kitchen for Isaac to clean, breaking plates and things like that. And when a piece cuts Isaac's face, he heals right away. He'd accepted the bite from Derek at the end of the last episode and his father is confused. Isaac runs away when he realises and his dad follows him into town and then when he finds Isaac's abandoned bike, he's killed in his car by a creature. Scott and Alison sneak out to meet while her parents are on a date night. What their date actually is, is kidnapping and torturing the current school principal so that they can get rid of him and replace him with Gerard. Meanwhile, Isaac runs to Derek's new train carriage, Lair, and tells him what happened, claiming he didn't kill his father, but he seems to know that he is going to get blamed for it. The next day at school, Scott tries to convince Styles that his control is better on this full moon, but Styles has got new chains for him anyway. Scott then realises that there's another werewolf in the locker room, and at training he tackles each teammate and smells them until he identifies the new werewolf as Isaac. Isaac realises that Scott is a wolf too and begs him not to tell anyone as the cops show up to talk to Isaac about his father's death. Lydia comes back to school after her illness and pretends to brush up the fact that people are looking at her like she's a freak. She tries to thank Jackson for helping her but he rejects her again. Jackson makes Matt lend him a video camera because he wants to film himself overnight on the full moon, uh, watch himself turning into a werewolf. Matt obviously doesn't know this and worries that Jackson is making a sex tape with Allison, but Jackson assures Matt that this is not the case and discovers Matt's crush on Allison. Styles and Scott get themselves sent to the principal's office on purpose so they can eavesdrop on Isaac's questioning, and we learn that Jackson, who lives across the street from him, knew for years that Isaac was abused and never bothered to report it as it was not his problem. Isaac's taken to be held in jail and Derek picks Scott up from school and asks him to help get Isaac out of police custody before he turns uncontrollably on the full moon that night. Scott blames Derek for causing trouble again, which Derek agrees with, and they go to Isaac's house and Derek sasses Scott about what he'd done at the lacrosse game. He teaches Scott to use all of his senses, not just smell, to discover what had happened in the house, and they find evidence of the abuse, including a freezer chest that Isaac's dad locked him in. 
Scott tells Derek that he can't just turn people into werewolves, but Derek insists that Isaac consented even after knowing about the hunters. Scott calls Isaac an idiot for this, and then Derek calls Scott an idiot for still dating Allison and tries to convince him to join his pack, learn more, and be stronger after witnessing what's happened to the Omega. Scott refuses to be packed, but still wants to help Isaac. Alison, Scott, Styles, and Derek team up to bust Isaac out of jail. Alison discovers her family's plot to kill Isaac and identifies a hunter that's playing double agent as a police deputy. She shoots him in the leg with her bow and arrow to slow him down and gives Styles and Derek time to get to the police station while Scott copes with the full moon. Derek distracts the desk sergeant with flirting and Styles sneaks in. He encounters the hunter that Alison shot, but Isaac attacks him. Isaac then tries to attack Styles, but Derek forces him away and into submission with his alpha powers. Allison goes to help Scott, and he makes her lock him into Isaac's freezer. As Allison leaves, she's attacked by a strange creature, and Scott regains control and breaks out of his bonds to save her. The creature escapes, and Scott has no idea what it was. The morning after the full moon, Jackson checks his videotape and finds no transformation footage, just hours of him sleeping on the camera, and is very upset by this. So, a lot happens in this episode, but what were your favourite lines? Uh, <laughs> my first one is from Coach, and this is, uh, this is such a great line. <laughs> um, but it's when they're out on the field and, and Scott's being all weird and, like, sniffing all the other people. And <laughs> Coach, <laughs> Coach goes up to Styles and says, Stilinski, what the hell is wrong with your friend? And Styles just leans over and he's like, well, he's failing two classes. He's a little socially awkward. And if you look closely, his jawline is a little uneven. Oh, my God. It was so good. Yes. Delivery. The delivery was just perfect. It was this really dry sort of humor. And it was uh, just, I love it so much. (laughs) I love as well in response to it, Coach's response was like, interesting. Or like explains a lot or something. Like it was so funny. It was great. Great, great, great. The other one was when the sheriff and Jackson are talking in the principal's office about how Jackson knew that Isaac's father was abusing him. And the sheriff says, you know, it's funny that the kids getting beaten up are always the ones who least deserve it. And Jackson's just sort of, yeah, wait, what? <laughs> and on the Sick one burn. hand, <laughs> yeah. On the one hand, it's really funny, but on the other hand, like... I just, I felt so bad for Isaac, and it was such a sad line, too, but that was definitely mm. really good. Yeah, I mean, it was obviously the, you know, the base level of it was that it was sad in regards to, you know, that Isaac doesn't deserve it, but it was clearly what the sheriff <laughs> was trying to say was to, you know, lay the smack down on Jackson for being a horrible, horrible person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I did. It was, this, this episode, unlike the last one, was... I mean, the last one, nothing about it was bad, but this one had a lot of quotes or moments or or writing that were very, very, very quotable. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of them, for me, was, again, the coach. When Styles is showing Scott his um, new chains in the locker room and he kind of opens, he opens the locker and they all start pulling out and the entire entire lacrosse team kind of freezes and is just, like, staring at them and this yards and yards of chain and the coach walks up and he's like part of me wants to ask the other part says knowing will be more disturbing than anything I could ever imagine so I'm gonna walk away and stuff <laughs> like that's that's probably wise and again the delivery of coach there it was amazing it was one of those like f- paused moments that was just so funny and very unnecessary but only, you know only done for humor value but so 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 funny 
And another moment of great delivery was the, I mean, the entire Derek and Styles scene when they are planning to go into the police yeah. station. <laughs> and, you know, Styles is, is clearly, you know, thinking, not considering Derek as, you know, a human being, which seems a little contrasting with the fact that he used him to, you know, that he sort of pimped him out to get to get Danny so he should know that, you know, Derek does have that, that capability in the sense of <laughs> manipulation. But Styles is clearly in a bit of a mood because he's all like, you know, so what are you going to do? Are you going to punch them in the face? And, you know, after, you know, after Styles continues to bother him, Derek's just like, I'm thinking about punching you in the face. And just, again, the delivery of it was just, you're, you're already seeing a, quite a big change in Derek from season one. Like, he's much more... Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot in season one that I found very funny on rewatching, but season two, Derek is funny in general. Like, he's he's a lot lighter. You know, he's still a very, very damaged boy, but he's a lot less, you know, he, his forehead's less clenched in angst all of the time. <laughs> and, like, he, his delivery is often, like, straight-up sarcasm as opposed to, like, right. you know, uh, ironic kind of sarcasm it's like yeah and it's it's really really like he's he, he becomes one of my favorite characters for humor in season two for sure he's he's so funny and I think the unclenching of the forehead does help because he's just more like his threats are less I'm actually bashing your head in and more kind of <laughs> just I don't know just really funny and and I yeah this is a, a big start of that and I, I love him yeah, I think that, like, this season he's more intentionally funny, whereas before it was sort of just, you know, mm. unintentionally funny. But that that scene, that whole scene between Styles and Derek was great, and that's actually the one that I was like, I'm going to have to look up some gifts for this just yeah. so I can stare at it, because it's all so funny. Yeah, and I mean... As well in that situation, like, you know, you know, he, he's not actually punching him in the face. And the contrast to season one is that Derek would actually make a threat that Styles believed that, you know, he was actually mm-hmm. going to, you know, punch him in the face. And it's just, it's just so funny. And then obviously when they they go in and, and Derek's doing the the flirting as well, but um, oh, uh, that was so awkward. Yeah. <laughs> like, I couldn't watch it. I was like, oh, this is weird. Yeah, but anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I suppose that, that I can actually do that as my sort of, I can actually go a bit more into that as a first discussion point. Like, Derek's sort of sass and personality in season two, um, like, it does seem to have changed quite a lot. Like, the entire scene in the house with Scott as well also had this, this aspect, uh, as I said, like, it's more kind of actual funny sarcasm, like, when Scott's, he's a lot more relaxed, and I don't know if that's because gotten rid of Peter or if he's sort of feeling some sort of less guilt or if it's just automatically his confidence or something like that because of becoming the alpha like if it's something to do with that but his personality does seem to have changed a a fair amount like where you know when he's with Scott and he's kind of telling Scott off about you know smelling people at lacrosse game and he was like Scott was like oh you were there and he's like yeah, and he's like, was it really that bad? And he's like, yeah. And just <laughs> as he continues, he, he he's just a lot quicker. He's a lot less angsty. He's a lot less like, oh, we're laughing at him for how serious he is, but we're actually laughing at him because he is being that snarky on purpose. And I was just wondering, yeah, what you think of it in general and why you think that has happened. 
I think it definitely just has to do with the fact that he's alpha now. I mean, he's got a lot more power. He's, you know, hopped up on his alpha juice. (laughs) So he's probably a lot more confident. And I think it has to do with the fact that Peter is gone now. He doesn't have to worry that, you know, he's going to be popping up, although. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, there's just a lot less stress. And now he just wants to build his pack and and everything. So there's a lot less worry to worry about now. Mm. The other thing, I guess, um, in regards to the alpha stuff is that we see him use the alpha dominance powers on Isaac, like the literal psychic, well, not psychic powers, but the you know, the mind control of, like, physically forcing Isaac away from Styles and, you know, cowing him into submission. And we never saw that with, you know, you'd think that Peter would have tried to pull that on Scott or Derek because he is their alpha. Like, he's... Or do you have to accept someone as your alpha? Like, he... Peter was their alpha. Like, in their... They were betas. They weren't omegas. They were betas to his alpha, regardless of mm-hmm. what happened. And, you know, that Scott was controlled somewhat by him. Like, he was instinctively trying to follow his call. But you, Peter never pulled that full-on control thing on them. So, what do you think the deal is with that? I think that they were betas to his alpha. But, at the same time, they were both fighting him. They didn't want to be in his pack. And so, I think... Like, deep down, he probably did have some sort of control over them because we saw that in in a few of the episodes where he got Scott to change and to go after his friends and stuff like that. But I think that they were fighting him so hard that maybe he didn't have as much control over them as Derek has over Isaac because Isaac accepted the bite from Derek and he accepted that he's his alpha. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's it's interesting, and, and that, that mind control thing is something that I'm curious about in regards to the whether humans could become pack, because that, to me, seems like the real dividing factor of, you know, a werewolf pack or, like, humans who are pack members, which are, can you truly be, you know, can someone truly be your alpha, or can you truly be in someone's pack if they don't have the same level of instinctual bond like that? Right, there's less of a connection there that, you know, two werewolves would have. Yeah, so that that's something I'm curious about in regards to the whole alpha thing and, and Derek's development, I guess. One of the bigger things for me in this episode was both Isaac and Jackson. First with Isaac was I really, really liked him right from the beginning just because he's, you know, sort of the underdog and and you just really feel for him, especially that scene at the dinner table was mm. so horrible and so scary Especially because at first, like you said, he sort of tricked into thinking, oh, okay, it's not going to be that bad. Everything's fine. His father's not really that angry. And then he just starts smashing things. And he takes this huge, like, pitcher, like this glass pitcher, and just throws it at his head. Like, Mm. oh, I just, I can't even imagine. And then when you find out later that, you know, he has that, that cooler down there, that freezer or whatever it is, and that Isaac's been locked up in there before, and it's just so and so horrible and I felt so bad for him this whole episode and I hated his father with like every fiber of my being and then Jackson on top of that he was so stupid about you know oh it's not my problem why would I tell anybody that you know this guy's beating his son and I end up liking Jackson quite a bit later on in the season but re-watching this it's just like how disgusting like I just I have no no patience for him right now. I just I just 
don't like him at all at this point in the show. Yeah, me too, me too. I um, Yeah, I do end up liking Jackson, and I actually end up not liking Isaac for most of the season, and I, I do end up, you know, I think that he's going to be a very interesting character, but I definitely, by the end of season two, I'm, def- I'm very into Jackson and not particularly into Isaac, but he is sociopath at this point. Even when, like, Isaac and his dad run out, and Jackson's taking out the garbage, and he's kind of like... He looks at them as, like, freaks. And I'd understand being a bit, like, dismissive if if that's all you saw. Like, if you didn't know, like, if you just saw them and he's like, oh, they're fighting on their front porch. Oh, that's really awkward. Like, you know, when you're, na- you know, you mm-hmm. might I know that you have neighbours that are having a yelling match and you're like, oh, that's really awkward. But he said he knows for a fact that he was, like, his father was, like, beating the crap out of him for years or whatever. And it was just like, eh, not my problem, like, kind of thing. It's like really like who thinks like that like how do you get to that point like did his i wonder if you know did jackson's parents also know like i they they don't seem that bad like they don't like right. what the hell like it clearly i'm gonna hope or think that they didn't so it's very strange but yeah it's it's pretty nasty in regards to to everything and, and yeah isaac's father as well that the the psych out was was really crazy and I don't know if we ever really get an answer as to why he treats him like that either. Like, it's, it's it's difficult to say why someone would do that. But, you know, if there was a catalyst or, you know, because we do find out it wasn't wasn't always like that. So what the hell? Right. Like, how do you get to that point? Like, I understand, like, vaguely understand, like, maybe, like, you know, a hot-blooded fight like a hot you know someone with a an anger problem you know getting into a hot-blooded fight but like the psych out thing like is really messed up like I don't understand and that's why it's so sick too is because like his father honestly believes that he needs to be punished and that Mm. this is how you punish your child and oh I just I hate him so much Mm. yeah it's like calculated and that's that's what I find the weirdest I guess in regards to Jackson as well, um, his aspect of this episode with with borrowing the camera from Matt. Again, I know Matt is a creeper, but I kind of... And he was very kind of rude and abrasive in in this episode in his interactions, but his interactions were to Jackson, who was also horrible. So it was okay. (laughs) I kind of liked the way that he treated Jackson in the sense that, like, he, he just didn't let Jackson get away with stuff in the sense that he was saying yeah. when he tries to borrow the camera and he, you know, he's like, do you have a hundred dollars? And Jackson's like, I do have a Porsche. And he's, what do you think? And he's like, I think it means your parents have a hundred dollars. Like, it's like, I, I really liked that he, he's one of the, the only people that we see really, you know, there are other people that get frustrated with Jackson, but he was really just like, I'm so above this. Like you are just the way you act is ridiculous. So, I kind of like his interactions with Jackson um, in that sense, but they're both pretty nasty, I've got to say. Yeah. All right, Chris. Chris, this episode was interesting, um, especially since we were talking about him and his whole code thing and, and everything with that. Like, that scene where they show up to meet the principal, and they're like, oh, you know, we're reviewing your performance and it's not up to our standards and blah, blah, blah. And the principal's like, you can't fire me. And they're like, no, but we can torture you. And I mean, we know that Victoria is crazy. Okay, that's fine. Gerard is crazy. That's fine. But how is Chris okay with torturing the principal? I mean, first of all, 
he knows better than that. We know that he's not as crazy as the other two. But the principal's a human. I mean, there's literally, like, he's not a werewolf. There's nothing supernatural with him. How is he okay, like, literally taking this giant taser to this guy? I don't get it. That seemed really weird to me as well. Like, that they're like, I mean, maybe Chris is kind of just accepting, like, Gerard and victoria's leadership because they're both fine with it and you know we do see him kind of interacting with gerard either in this episode or last episode they kind of have a little little bit of a discussion they sort of close the door on allison about about the code and and all of that but it's really like is this they're okay like doing this to a civilian like this is not a big deal like if it furthers their goal like did they just torture him till he quit or till he was incapable of working i don't what yeah it's it's pretty odd like it's it's this guy is literally you know he's he's a victim he was just someone in the way like it's it's ridiculous and i don't understand how they even if they'd like calculate you'd think they could have even calculated a way to get him fired or something like that i don't know but like it was pretty insane to me that they're just like oh yeah we torture people now just just cause that's fine <laughs> i guess it kind of shows the extent to which, like, Gerard is manipulative if he's able to sort of bend Chris's ideals and, and get him to do these sort of things. It, it shows how dangerous he could be. Yeah, it's it's a bit insane. And, yeah, we, we don't like him. We know that. <laughs> I mean, we know that he doesn't stop at anything, but, yeah, I'm surprised. You know, you'd think, I, I wonder if this is the first time they've done something like this. Victoria seems pretty cool with it. And, like, yeah. you know, Chris is you know, going along with it, so it's a bit strange. Speaking of Argens, another bit in this episode that I noticed that was also struck me as, like, somewhat strange was actually Lydia and Alison coming back into school. And uh, when Lydia returns to school from her illness, she is obviously very nervous about sort of going in and she plays it off and they go in, you know, and she looks great and whatever, but they... You know, they walk into the school and everyone stares at her because she was the crazy girl running around naked for two days. And before she'd gone in, she kind of says, you know, in her brushing off, kind of covering up way she was talking about it, she was like, oh, it's fine, I lost nine pounds. She kind of comes in and when everyone stops and stares and she's sort of nervous, Alison sort of goes to her, maybe it's the nine pounds. And I'm still really conflicted here about whether this was supportive or like totally bitchy like do you know what I mean because I I said before that they kind of had this thing in which they they've had a few moments of like slight competition like slight you know and slight nastiness Mm -hmm. to one another and mostly I think this was meant to be a kind of like a sweet thing but it also had this level of like of nastiness to it as well and I can't work out which one it was did you did you vibe that at all or Uh, Do you you Uh, know the bit I'm talking about? I do, because when you take the sentence out of context, it does kind of sound, you know, fine and supportive and everything. But watching it, I definitely took it as like the totally bitchy part, because right before that, Lydia had said, you know, well, at least my aunt wasn't a serial killer. And I think that that was was the whole thing. Or yeah. is it like, or is their friendship so close that they can sass each other like that? Because I don't really understand which one it is. Because yeah, they de- it definitely seemed really 
like an element of nastiness to it and it again raises the question that I've asked before about Alison and Lydia's friendship because I don't really understand it because you know Alison was concerned that last episode she was like oh she's my best friend not doing this without me and all of that and you know she visits her in the hospital and I don't understand if it's meant to be that they're that close that they can be that they're bitchy to each other as a joke but I don't know I'm not 100% sure and and it really struck me as, as quite mean and, and their relationship still kind of confuses me. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Speaking of Allison, uh, my last couple of points here are all about her. And a couple of them are just really small. First of all, at the end of the episode, when Allison's confronted by the Kanama, she grabs the knife out of the butcher block and she yells, come on, and it, it's exactly how Kate yelled it in her intro episode when she had the the shotgun and, you know, she was trying to get the werewolf to come out so that she could kill it. And it just, like, really struck me very obviously. I hadn't really picked up on it before, but, I mean, she just sounded exactly like Kate there. Yeah, totally. And the other thing, the other quick question before I get into the rest of the thing about Allison was... Was the the hunter slash cop an actual cop, or was he just pretending to be one? Do we know that? No, I don't know if he was, like, someone on the police force who was also a hunter, mm-hmm. or if it was just a hunter who was, like, you know, had taken a police uniform or something like that. I, I don't know which one that, it was. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he was actually a hunter and a cop, but right. I don't know. Yeah, I was just sort of curious about that. But with Allison, um, shooting him in the leg with the arrow, like, it just really surprises me that she was that comfortable, like, shooting another human being in the leg with an arrow. I mean, that's horrible. (laughs) How is she, like, she was smiling about it because she was hoping to slow him down, but, you know, did the situation really call for that? I'm not so sure. Yeah, I was actually surprised because when I first saw it, I thought she was going to shoot the tire. Like, I thought she was shooting the tire of his car to slow him down, not him in the leg, if you know what I mean. And then I was like, no, she shot his leg. Okay, wow, that happened. Well, she shot the tire first, and and that's why he slowed down and got out. And then she shot him in the leg. Yeah, so I was a bit confused in regards to that. That's really, like, I'm not sure why she she felt okay about that and I mean I'm not you know she's shot Derek a few times and I I was also confused about that like obviously Derek is a werewolf but it was like he he, again I as as I'll say again he was still a person like it wasn't like he -hmm. wasn't wolfed out like she was just you know fine with shooting a moving target that looks like a person so I guess I guess everyone in this show is quite ruthless at at times (laughs) so I don't really understand why she felt okay with that either, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. I mean, she she obviously gets even more ruthless than this, so we'll have to see. Yeah, and the other thing with that is how did she not think that her parents would figure it out? I mean, they do figure it out, and it's just sort of like you really didn't think you were going to get caught? I mean, it's a little obvious that you were the one that shot him and maybe she just didn't care. Maybe it was worth it. Maybe she didn't think she'd really get in that much trouble, but I don't know. That just seemed like not you know, a whole lot of definitely, Yeah. Definitely like places her on the other side of the, yeah. the divide or whatever. So yeah, um, it, it is interesting. And you know, I don't know what, what ended up happening to that guy. Like, did he die? I don't understand. Like, I don't, 
Oh, he was just sort of like laying in a heap, wasn't he? Yeah, and then when they, you know, at the end, well, maybe he wasn't really a cop because they busted Isaac out, right? And Isaac's on the run. And then, you know, the, at the very end, they come back in. I, I'm assuming it's meant to be the, the police coming back in or, or Styles' dad. And Isaac's gone and he, you know, points to that guy and he's like, he did it. And so maybe he was like a, a plant, like not a not a real cop, and they mm-hmm. can actually pin Isaac's escape on him to the law because Isaac's now like on the run from the law. So, right. So he still goes, starts going back to school. So that's like, <laughs> that's going to be like a whole thing where I'm like, I don't understand how they've made this work, but maybe they get him like off the hook um, in a way that yeah. I, I didn't notice before or something because I think that really they do. confused me. Yeah. Anyway. I definitely did notice the Kate thing, though, um, and it was kind of a... It was actually kind of freaky. Yeah, it was. Okay, my only last point here was actually... Okay, the first time I watched Teen Wolf, I was like... I enjoyed the Styles and Derek scene, but, scenes, but I never really, like, read it as, like, a shipping thing. I never actually... You know, and it's it's not... I mean, it's not meant to be read like a shipping thing. It's meant to be read like a an antagonistic thing and I can understand how people ship it from that but it wasn't something I I watched and I was like oh my god I ship them together because of their interactions and I, I, I see it now and I definitely do enjoy the possibility of it and characters who have that kind of dynamic but the first time I watched this show I kept noticing all of the moments between Danny and Scott in a in a shipping <laughs> sense that I thought were thought were regardless of whether anything happens which I don't think it will that were meant to be a kind of like slight sexual tension thing or like a kind of slight joke thing and there was another one and and then after that and after you know found you know I found out that the steric fandom was so big and uh, I was kind of like did I I'm like was the the Danny and Scott stuff that big deal and re-watching it I'm like yeah it definitely was done on purpose (laughs) because the bit where he's tackling everyone and he tackles Danny and he's smelling them and Danny's like it's Armani and Scott's like what and he's like my cologne it's Armani and it makes me wonder if Danny has a slight thing for Scott. Like, regardless of Scott, it may, like, sometimes he treats Scott like he's a freak, but then this was really, like, <laughs> it was, like, kind of weirdly intense, and I kind of liked it. And it's, it's actually weird that that tiny scene actually is a plot point later, and that's what I love about this show as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. You remember? And, yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah, I just, I really love Danny and Scott's dynamic, <laughs> and so I want, I want more of that in season three, for sure, in whatever sense it ends up being in, but I'd love him to be part of the the practical werewolf team that knows about everything as well, because like that Avengers dynamic I talked about, I can totally imagine him in those discussions, so yeah, yeah. then I would really like some, some more Danny. <laughs> Alright, we're going to go through the news really quick and then get into um, some listener feedback after that, which I definitely want to make sure we hit on, because we have a couple of really interesting points there, so we'll do this really quick. The first one is that Zelda Williams is joining season three and this is kind of cool and exciting because she's actually the daughter of comedian Robin Williams which I honestly didn't even know that he had a daughter but hey that's okay this is really cool and her name's Zelda and we're kind of like already in love with her already but she's so uh, cool her, yeah. <laughs> you have to follow her on Twitter if if anyone is listening I mean, I'm sure you're all listening to this I hope it's just Zelda Williams on Twitter. She is a bro. She is so cool. <laughs> she's really, really funny. Like she's really she's she seems like a really sassy kind of nerdy kind of girl. And you know, I'm, I'm sure she grew up very funny with with her father. But 
She's really cool. Like I really like her. She has really good taste in stuff. I've like I've seen the, I've seen the. She follows a lot of the same people I follow as far as like writers and link comedians and stuff. And I I love her. So yeah, I've decided. And she was named after Zelda, like of Legend of Princess Zelda from Legend of Zelda. Yeah, I I read her Wikipedia and she's awesome. And the the reason why we found this out was there actually wasn't like a formal announcement or anything. It was just Colton on Twitter who said, you know, so proud of you for joining the MTV Teen Wolf cast. You're going to be spoiled because uh, working because you're working with the nicest people in showbiz. And then he ended it with, I miss them, frowny face. And I was just like, ugh. You did this to yourself, Colton. You did it to yourself. <laughs> so, yeah, but we are excited about that. Uh, another piece of news that's sort of just a little bit random, but still pretty cool, is that Daniel Sharman, who plays Isaac, is actually going to be narrating the audiobook for Clockwork Princess by Cassandra Clare. And this is the third and final book in her Infernal Devices series. And uh, just to read a quick quote here... Uh, it says that uh, Claire was actually the one who pitched the idea of using him as the narrator in the first place. And she says, during the casting process for the Mortal Instruments movie, the casting director and I talked about probably every young actor in Hollywood. Daniel Sharman had just come off doing Immortals. And I remember we talked about him as an actor who had huge talent and promise. When we were looking for someone who could read the Clockwork Princess audiobook, I thought of him because he seemed like someone who could capture the parts of the narrative that require vulnerability, as well as the ones that require a great grasp of action. And I just thought this was, like, really random, but kind of awesome. I haven't actually read this series. I've read the first three books in the Mortal Instruments series, and I actually have the first two books in this series on my shelf, but haven't quite gotten around to them yet, but... I'm sort of thinking about maybe getting the audiobook for this one just so I can have Daniel Sharman talk to me. <laughs> yeah. I have not read her series, but this series, as far as I know, is the prequel to the series It's mm-hmm. that she'd already written. Is that right? Like, she wrote this yeah. Mortal Instruments, and then she wrote this series afterwards, but it's set before. It's a prequel. Is that that's yeah, as far as one, I know? The other one's set in modern times, and this one is sort of like a Victorian steampunk kind of novel so it's not like a direct sequel but it does sort of tie in the whole world and everything yeah i mean i I know jen on hyperball jen lamoro who does who hype with me and who does all of our book coverage our young adult book coverage loves the prequel series like she says that the model instrument series is is good but that this series because she'd spent already written the world had so much to go back on and that she really loves the the prequel series so the the clockwork series so yeah, I will. I will read them at some point. I have. I have not read them as of yet because I was. Uh, I was somewhat of a. I was somewhat of a skeptic in regards to Cassandra Clare's history, fan <laughs> history. But uh, the movie looks good, and you know, yeah, I, I'll read them. It's fine. And then yeah, I'll get the audiobook too. <laughs> <laughs> it is really considerate, like, and nice that they kind of thought about it that much. I mean, maybe he auditioned for the movie and he didn't get it, or. or or something like that, or he didn't, or, or they were looking up people and he, you know, wasn't someone who came in for an audition, but that they thought of him for this. So that's that's quite, I always like that. I always like when I, when directors or casting agents or whatever think of people and offer them things or they, or if someone auditions for a particular role and they consider them for something else, because I never think like that. Like, I mean, 
I'm sure I would if that was my industry, but I never like think, you know, it, say, you know, I was auditioning for people for Harry Potter or something and I was like, well, you're not right for Harry Potter. I wouldn't necessarily look at them and go, well, but you could be right for Ron Weasley or something like that. You know, like I, I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't think like that. So it's kind of not, like, and I've, I've actually, I've been doing a lot of spending a lot of time in the, the lame is world because I'm obsessed with it in case anyone knows the rest of my life. I'm absolutely obsessed with Lemmy's and have been my whole life and so the movie coming out was a very big deal for me but like a couple of the guys that auditioned for Marius didn't get Marius but got cast in other roles including Aaron Tveit who played Andrelis and I don't understand how he didn't audition for Andrelis like he's not like Marius at all and he's the best Andrelis I've ever seen and so I don't understand like did they audition people for Andrelis or did they just take people who for example Styles Dylan auditioned for Scott originally, I believe, or was mm-hmm. sent in for Scott and then was like, oh, this... did they audition other people for Styles and they saw Dylan and was like, actually, we should put you in this role? Or did they just did they just put out an audition for, you know, with Scott's lines and then everyone who come in, they're like, oh, no, you wouldn't be Scott, but you could do this other line. Do they actually cast for all the specific parts? I don't understand how you audition for someone and then end up as someone else, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm glad I, he yeah, did. Definitely... I'm glad. He, I'm glad they didn't just reject yeah. him and say, "Oh no, you're not right for Scott, so we're not going to use you." But it's. I'm curious if they put up a call for Styles, if they put out, you know, audition material for that role, and if it was, you know, because I know that when he discovered Styles, he he wanted to play that part instead. So were those parts not available for audition, or do they just put out one audition piece, you know, for this new show, Teen Wolf, and those lines are Scott's, and then they say, "Actually, we've got this other character." Like. I'm curious about that. If anyone knows anything about casting processes and how many parts they put up, because that was the whole thing about, I was curious about Les Mis as well, about, because that part of Andrelis is such a big part that I'm like, did they not have people auditioning specifically for that? And like, why wasn't he auditioning specifically for that? And, you know, maybe that was the case with Daniel and the model instruments as well, that he auditioned for something and they remembered him for something else. But it is nice that they remember people for something else, even if they don't use them for the part they auditioned for. Right. I would think that they would sort of, like, still put out the material and have people audition because if he's reading Scott's lines, like, they wouldn't necessarily know that he'd be a good fit for Styles until he read Styles' lines. And then, again, you never know if there's going to be somebody better. So maybe it's sort of like, oh, well, you're not right for Scott, but why don't you try out for Styles? You know, we recommend that you do this because you seem like a good fit, that yeah. sort of thing, and just have him do another audition and then they figured out oh hey this guy's yeah awesome. I mean I'm sure that yeah I'm, I'm totally sure that that you know that happens it's just you know being able to like see people that way and I'm just curious as to whether yeah. they actually put out like you know when they originally did the casting call if they put out like these five parts or whatever or if they just put out one call gave them the material for Scott and then were like actually you're gonna try this other character or something like that mm. like how that all worked yeah that is interesting So then our last piece of news is a really exciting one. (laughs) And this is, this came to us last week. And it was another one of the spoiler of the week from MTV and Jeff Davis. And it was that Dylan O'Brien is going to write a scene for episode 306. You know, when I first read this, I was like, ah, and started kind of jumping up and down. Because it's really exciting. And what happened was Jeff Davis said on the MTV 
remote control blog, I have long been trying to get Dylan O'Brien to sit down and write with me. Sometimes I'll harass him to help me come up with a funnier line, and most people know he gets in an ad lib or two. But tonight, after he wrapped his acting work for the day, we actually sat down and wrote a scene together. We'll see if fans can guess which one, as it will show up in episode 306. <laughs> and as far as um, the ad libs go, we know that like his infamous sour wolf line was one of the ablids and everything and actually before this lyndon ashby who plays sheriff stolinski tweeted out a message that sort of got us all thinking and then later on we got a little bit more on it but he said he's so funny too he said i just watched dylan and jeff d perform the scene they wrote together i laughed i cried i farted lol it was actually great and then later on, he said, you forget when you spend a lot of time around people how impressed you were when you first met them. Then you're reminded. And then he says, D-O-J-D for Don O'Brien, Jeff Davis. Mm-hmm. So talented. So what are you thinking? <laughs> yeah, pretty exciting. I don't know. I, I'm presuming it's a, st- a scene that involves styles. I wonder if it's, seen, right. it's a scene just on his own. I hope it's oh, I hope it's between him and his dad. Like, I hope it's him and and the sheriff. So... I don't know what, I don't know, like, I'm trying to think of the specifics, if we don't have very many specifics, no, maybe it's him and Scott, so much. yeah, and I, yes, I'm excited, uh, I wouldn't mind him writing a whole episode, like, it would be, oh, it's it's oh. really, it's really cool that, I mean, and it's really cool that he, he's recognized, like, you know, obviously Jeff knows that he's that clever, you know, as, as a writer and has interest in a writer. Do you reckon the rest of the cast are like jealous, like or anything, like that they, you know, like maybe they just don't have any interest in that department, like you know, or they know that maybe it's just like we know that Dylan's that good, like we know that we're, you know, we know that he's just that good in that department, you know, I'm sure that they would all just appreciate it, but it it, it does seem interesting that he is he has gotten to do this and it's really cool. I wonder if he'll be credited on the on the credits or, or whatever. And I definitely want to know, I'm going to assume it's between him and Scott. Like, I don't know, maybe it's just a scene of styles on his own, but we'll see. Yeah. When you were saying it'd be cool to see him do um, a whole episode, it would be really awesome to get sort of like a style centric episode where we sort of follow him around Mm. for an entire day or something. And just, Oh, that could be so hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) So we're, pretty excited about this. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good plan. I think that's definitely a yeah, definitely a good plan, Jeff Davis. Good job. You've 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 done something very well there. <laughs> All right, so then to get into our last section with the feedback, we've got two two pieces of feedback from Tumblr. The first one is from I'm Shaking Your Confidence Daily. And this one sort of came in two parts. The first one is that this person just mentions on episode five, you mention a Vampire Diaries Teen Wolf crossover. There's a Beacon Hills Ledger website, beaconhillsledger.com, created for the Teen Wolf The Hunt game on Facebook, which has all of its writings done by Jeff Davis. If you look on the right-hand column under lacrosse rankings, there's a school named Mystic Falls, which we know is the this school from Vampire Diaries. Maybe they do exist within the same universe. The only problem is that Mystic Falls is in Virginia and Beacon Hills is in California. And this is this is pretty interesting. I, I did go on here and I tried to find somewhere where it actually said like all the writing was done by Jeff Davis and I couldn't find anything. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not. I just didn't spend enough time looking, I guess. But 
if that is the case, this definitely is really interesting because Mystic Falls is right there on the right-hand side, clear as day. So mm-hmm. that's sort of a cool little yeah. tie-in. If, if it is done by them, I don't, yeah, I don't think that it's, like, necessarily meant to mean that full-on the same universe, like, as in, like, you know, literally, like, the same universe, the same law, you know, that they're ever going to interact, but it's definitely a reference. Like, it's it's got to mm-hmm. be. Like, if they filmed together and they knew each other, you know, when they were all filming in Atlanta, like, it has to be, some, you know, a joke. Like, it has to be at least an in-joke, if not an actual right. canon crossover. And then the second part of this feedback just says, in a past episode, you mentioned the moral ambiguity of Styles. There's some speculation going around that he's a poisonous friend. And then um, they give us a couple of links here. And I just wanted to read one part of this really quick because I found it interesting. It, It sort of goes along with what we were saying before about Styles and, you know, how he might be a little bit darker than we really see at first. Um, But it's put a different way, and they give some good examples. And I guess our question is sort of like, is this a little overdramatic, or, you know, do they have a really good point? So I'm just going to read some of this really quick and see what you say, Natalie, and we'll sort of pitch it out to the listeners too. But And I'll put the link in the show notes when it goes up so you guys can read this for yourselves. But it says, A poisonous friend, for those who aren't familiar with the term, is a generally sidekick-like character attached to another character, but who has a different differing, usually more cynical moral code. In this case, obviously, Styles, the sidekick, is attached to Scott, our hero. Sometimes the hero ends up influencing the friend, i.e. Styles might pick up some of Scott's idealism, or sometimes the friend influences the hero, like Scott picking up some of Styles' slightly darker nature. In the text, Styles can be a useful storytelling tool because he does things that Scott as a hero functionally can't. Scott might try to bribe his mother by bringing her dinner, but I doubt he'd encourage functioning alcoholism. However, because Styles is less of a moral character, he serves the function in that he can do what Scott can't or won't. We haven't really seen this on the show yet, but the potential is seen in how Scott refuses to kill Jackson. While Styles is willing to at least think about it, we're supposed to laud Scott for the decision and do. I mean, I see the virtue of in not wanting to kill people, but there's a point where Jackson would become so dangerous that if Styles stepped in and killed him, it would be hard to really condemn the decision when weighing all the murders and potential future murders. Mm. So, a poisonous friend is interesting because their actions can range from understandable to downright sociopathic. Think of it on a scale of Giles killing Ben in season 5 or killing someone who might be contaminated with an infectious disease slash zombie bite slash they're turning into every horror movie ever. And then it jumps to... And even if the poison friend starts on one side of the scale, it's possible to slide one way. Styles might start as cynical, head to anti-hero, and slide right into pretty goddamn evil. So the question is, do they have a point here, or do you think that it's not quite up to that level? No, I think it is, because the other thing that we've got is like the this is this is a term sort of coined by TV Tropes, which is an awesome website that kind of goes into all sorts of fictional tropes. And, it, you know, it says basically that this kind of character is often used when the writers don't want to stain the innocent 
lead characters' hands, but still need a way to deal with those pesky, defeated enemies. Even friends who have been explicitly told to behave, or otherwise decided to hold back, can still function in this regard if, if they've done something bad enough to intimidate the villains. If a particularly noble and idealistic hero cannot wrong anyone, but as a particularly cruel or ruthless, poisonous friend, the villain may hesitate to take advantage of that hero's idealism and kill him out of fear of what his buddy's response could be. I definitely think that this could be a thing with Styles. I think that the Giles killing Ben aspect in Buffy is an amazing comparison. Like that, that for those who basically haven't haven't seen Buffy, I'm going to spoil you. I don't care because the show has been out for ten years and you really <laughs> should have watched it. There's a particular season in which the villain is a goddess called Glory possessing the body of a human, and they can't kill her in her god form, but they end up, Giles ends up killing, like, killing Ben, the human who she possesses in his human form to get rid of her, even though Ben is a total innocent. And Buffy would never do that. Like, Buffy could never, would never do that. And, you know, and Scott could never, would never do that. But Styles might. So, yeah, I definitely think that that's something that could could be a, a valid thing and it definitely ties into the ruthlessness that I've been going on about. So it would be interesting to see that happen because, yes, I definitely think that Styles is a darker character than Scott for sure. Right, yeah, I completely agree, and they definitely have some really good examples here in comparison. So I guess the question that I want to pitch out to, you know, all you guys, our listeners, is this final one that they have here, and it just says, and Scott might be able to bring Styles back, or Styles could go full on dark side. So, let us know in the comments on Hypable.com or tweet us or email us or whatever. Do you guys think that Styles is eventually going to go full on dark side, or do you think that Scott is going to kind of keep that in check and he's not going to end up like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it would be a matter of necessarily Scott having to bring Styles back. Like, I think that if he was simply a poisonous friend, like in the sense of of Giles or in the sense of, you know, any any of the other examples that are here on TV Tropes, you know, someone that is protecting their sort of idealistic friend at all costs, even in ways that the idealistic friend wouldn't knowingly permit. I don't think that that's a bad thing. I don't think that's something that necessarily needs to be changed. I think if it did go fully dark side, obviously that would be bad, but I, you know, I, I could definitely see it happening, but I could, I could also see it just being you know, an, an ongoing thing, like not a, you know, not a Willow in Buffy moment, more like a Giles in mm-hmm. Buffy moment. So, yeah, I definitely think that it is a valid point. And, you know, I would definitely at least like to see some of Styles's, um obvious moral ambiguity explored a bit more. Same here. And then our last question is from Anonymous, and they just asked, do you think that Mr. Harris, the chemistry teacher, will have a bigger role in season three as a villain or otherwise? Well, I hope so. Like we were saying earlier in, in the episode, he crazy. Like he's, <laughs> he's, there's something going on there, and I feel like it can't just, it's not just a casual throwaway, like, you know, some of the other characters that are a bit weird. Like he's got issues, and I they're clearly building up, so I would definitely like to see more. The actor has tweeted a few times about staying tuned for season three, that he does have really interesting stuff in season three. So, yes, I think that it's a pretty good prediction to make. I don't know if he's going to be the major villain or something like that, but I I would really 
like to see what's going on there. I agree. I think he's really he's really good at playing Mr. Harris in this like sort of creepy. He just makes you uncomfortable. He's very intimidating. And I like seeing that on the screen and I like his interactions that he's had, you know, I like that one line I I said from uh him to Styles. As far as him being a villain, I don't know that he'll ever be an actual villain in the sense that, okay, like, he's the bad guy for the season. But I definitely think, and and he has been before, he's been an antagonist, you know, with the whole detention thing and, and some of the other things that have been going on. And I think I'd like to continue seeing him in that role. I don't think I'd really want him to be, like, a villain and then he gets killed off or something like that. Yeah. I think I'd like for him to stick around for a little while but there's definitely I agree there's definitely something else going on with him and I still think that he knows more about werewolves than he's let on before so I I definitely want to get some answers to that and to his past and and what he knows yeah good times it's interesting (laughs) because it's such it's so good because they pull stuff back all the time like they'll bring they bring stuff back all the time like the the writing is solid enough for there to be a pretty, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a whole file on him in the office, you know, in the writer's room about, like, what this guy's deal is and, like, what his, yeah. <laughs> you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, there could definitely be a lot more to see that they have actually thought about. Like, I don't think they'll be making it up as they go along or anything like that. Okay, was there anything else? No, I think we're good. Cool. Okay, so that's about all we have for this week's episode. Hopefully that you have enjoyed our start of season two, I have. Have you, Karen? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I love season two. Um, <laughs> Me too. So, yeah, and yeah, thank you for the input. And, you know, if you have any thoughts about any of the aspects, as again, just hit us up on Twitter or leave a comment on the Hyperball page. Tumblr's good too, or emails, we get all of them. If you go and comment on Hyperball, the Hyperball stuff will know that you love us, so that's nice. But... You can comment anywhere, really, you know, as long as you're downloading the episodes and and hanging out with us in your ears. We will see you in a couple of weeks or, you know, for the next episodes, for um, episodes three and four of season two. And if you have any ideas of anything else that you'd like for the show between now and then, let us know and we'll, we'll see what we can do. So for now, I'll say bye to everyone and bye to Karen. So bye bye. See you guys. Bye. Derek's oh stupid plane, hang on. Um I'm really scared one day a plane's gonna land on my house because last night we saw a plane landing um when we were walking back from the train station and it was like trailing smoke, like big oh. clouds of black smoke from either wing and we're like, that's not normal. What? Um no.